0: been edified by our service here today, and that what I have to present to you will be beneficial, that it'll be edifying and encouraging and uplifting in some way. Today, I want to thank Winston for leading that song for me. I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, this is something that is reiterated multiple times throughout the Old Testament as well. It's talked about in the New Testament as well, but I want you to notice that this isn't God saying this at this point. This is almost a song. The Lord, our God, is one Lord. You know, God had commanded this earlier on that He be their one God, that there be no other gods before Him. And so, through this process that they would do, like in Psalms, where they would Create a song that would drive that message home continually. And the objective of doing that was to make it personal. And that's what I want us to talk about today is these elements, all your heart, soul, and might, that they are personal to you. I know oftentimes we hear a, a sermon or a read a scripture and we say, well, you know, oh, so-and-so, they, they really need to hear that or they need to read this. And that's not the objective today. The objective is for us to look at our lives, our hearts, our souls, and our mind and see where we are in relation to what God wants from us. That's the objective of this lesson. What do you take personally in your life? And when I say take personally, I don't mean, you know, what offends you. What I mean is there are things in our lives that are very personal to us, and when they are very personal to us, We tend to nurture those things. You know, one of the things I tell my children all the time as they've gotten older and they've started working is that your work ethic should be beyond reproach. That you're going to go to work every day and you're going to have mistakes happen, but when your superior comes to you, it's not going to be in a manner in which, well, you're being lazy or you're not doing what you're supposed to do because your work ethic is is beyond reproach because that's the way I've always taken my work. It's very personal to me that my work and what I do is presentable and other people see that and they say, well, you know, this is Danny and that's what he is known for. Something else that's very personal to me is my relationship with my wife. We spend a lot of time talking, telling each other the things that we need in our relationship. How can we be better? We've been married for 27 years, and there's this emphasis consistently to have consistent improvement in our marriage, and that's the objective because that's very personable or personal to each of us. You know, when I was younger, you remember—I don't. Most of you don't. When I say when the Transformers come, came out, you're thinking the movie. I think the cartoon. <laughs> When the Transformers came out, I remember back... I don't know if they still do this anymore, but back in the day, they used to have these big metal cases that they brought into the school once or twice a year in Scholastic something or another, and you could go buy books. And I remember one year I got so many Transformer books, posters, and things like that. And then for my birthday my mom got me a a Bumblebee transformable car. And man, I loved that car. I loved those books. I always read those books. But you know, the problem with the car was that at Boys Ranch, all of our toys had to go into a community box when we brought them home. And I, I hated having to share my toys. And it came one day, I came outside to go get my... Bumblebee to go play with it. And I went outside just in time to see another kid launch it up a slide that we had outside. And that thing went 15 feet in the air and came down, hit the ground, was destroyed. You know, that was something that was very personal to me. That was a gift given to me from my mom. I didn't get a lot of gifts growing up. We didn't have that much money. And it was very personal to me. So what ensued was not a rational conversation, I can tell you that. I got in a lot of trouble. So what is personal to you? Because when you read passages such as this, and you read other passages in the Scripture, as that thing that is being driven home, that our relationship with God and all the aspects there are through the Scripture, through the Gospel, all of those things should be personal to us. That we should strive to have a personal relationship with God through these tools that He has given us. And that should be the objective that we have. We're talking about our heart, soul, mind, love for God being personal today. So, in understanding that, the first area we would want to understand that is that Scripture is personal. That God's Word is personal to us. And when something is personal, we spend time with it, don't we? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed ther- thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, we quote verse 11 of this passage quite a bit. Thy word in thy heart that I have hidden my heart, that I might not sin against Thee. But I like the passage previous to that, verse 9. Where shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed hereto according to Thy Word. By being obedient to God's Word. By understanding that it's a personal relationship with God and how this is how God communicates with us today. And that's very personal to me. And for me to cleanse myself to understand how to navigate the waters of this life, how to navigate my relationship with God, this is where it starts and this is where it begins. And that without it, I have a lack of understanding, I have a lack of knowledge. This is the instruction book, the manual, whatever you want to call it, but this is how God has chosen to communicate with us. If we don't take that personal, the other things are harder to take personal because we don't have the proper instruction. Then we just get to make up how we feel about a subject, right? Which is the world we operate in a lot today. How we feel about a subject. When God all along says, I don't want you to look at your feelings. I want you to look at what I have given you. This is how you have a relationship with me. This is how you navigate the world today. This is how you go beyond the world today and in the next life have eternity with me. Very clear. And that should be something that is very personal to us. What else should be personal to us in this scripture? This passage talks about being cleansed, that understanding that having the right mindset and making it personal, that we can be cleansed from our sins, and we do it by understanding what God wants from us. I want you to think about when Christ was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what did he go to with all three temptations? Did he say, man, I feel like you're trying to do something wrong here. (laughs) Or, I feel like this is the way this should go. No. What Christ did was use God's Word. Three times he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. I find it fascinating that the man that created the heavens and the earth, that created you and I, in a moment of suffering and in a moment of temptation, went to the very thing that he knew would get him through that temptation. How do we have the audacity to think there's any other way? How do we have the audacity to say, I can shoulder this and deal with it on my own. Because if we're taking the word of God seriously, we'll do just as Christ did, and that becomes the point in which all temptation, trials, we constantly seek His Word to overcome them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And I want you to understand this is a passage that we repeat time and time again because it's a very good passage. It's one that is good to commit to memory and understanding exactly what God's Word does for us. It's not something that we simply go to when we're struggling in life. That or when we're having just temptations in life, but it is a constant source of all spirituality in our life. That it does everything that we need. It gives us doctrine, that which is taught. It gives us understanding for correction and for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness. For what purpose? Well, he says that we might be furnished unto all good works. Did you know that's what you were created for? In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about that. That we were created for a specific reason. We were created for good works. That we were the first fruits of Christ for the purpose of good works. He reiterates that here in 2 Timothy, teaching us that God's Word supplies all of our needs for us to accomplish those good works. The question is, is your relationship with God's word personal? Because if it is personal, there's time spent with it. One of the greatest rebukes in the scripture is in Hebrews chapter 5. As Paul, or the author there, is rebuking the church on a subject concerning milk and meat. And he's talking about them being babes in Christ and consistently having to go back to the basic principles. They should be on the basics. They should be in the meat. They shouldn't have to be teaching the basics over and over and over again. They should be moving on to meatier things. Do you ever step back and evaluate your relationship with God's Word? Are you still in the milk phase or have you moved on to the meat phase? That's a serious consideration then, or question that we should ask ourselves. Hey folks, there's some of you that you should still be in the milk phase. But there's sometimes that we're in the milk phase when we ought to have moved to the meat phase. The only way we move to that phase in our life is to study, to spend time in God's Word. You young teachers, whenever you're doing study and you're, you're preparing a lesson, do all of your lessons seem like they're up here, or are they going down, down, and getting a little bit deeper? Your understanding and application in your personal life. Do you say, oh, this is where this connects more often? Or do you say, I overlooked that? Your relationship with God's Word should be one that is personable, should be examined on a frequent basis, and we ask ask ourselves the very difficult questions. Is my relationship with God's Word growing and developing no matter how long you've been a Christian? Not only should God's Word be a, something that is very personable, personal in our life, but the desire to be holy and holiness being personal. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. I like the way Solomon puts it in Proverbs chapter 4 there in verse 23. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Tend to your heart because from your heart proceeds all of the issues in life. That's exactly what Christ just said. You know, the idea or the the picture that I get when I read passages like Proverbs chapter 4 is one that if in this world today, if a, a terrorist action could be accomplished, it would be to contaminate our water sources. I mean if you th- I don't know I don't know if that's a negative on me that I would think of that but you look at that and you go that would be a way that someone could really do us a lot of harm because from out of those simple water sources are so many things that pertain to our lives whether it's drinking whether it's cleaning whether it's harvest or uh, crops and what we plant if they could contaminate that, then everything else on the other side is wrong. And that's what I imagine when I read passages like Proverbs chapter 4. If the heart is contaminated, then everything that comes from it is contaminated. But if the heart is striving for holiness, then everything that comes from it is one that strives for holiness. And seeks to accomplish holiness and makes that relationship in our life holy with other people, holy with God. And it's something that is extremely personable. Personal. When you read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, have you ever asked yourself why God got angry with Cain? why he got in a position in which he said, Cain, your sacrifice is not accepted, but Abel's is. And I know throughout time people have tried to say it was what they offered and everything else. That had nothing to do with it. The reason Cain was in the wrong in this situation was simple. He was not right with God. Later on, when you read in Hebrews, it talks about Abel offering a more excellent sacrifice because he did it through faith. Cain didn't have a desire in his heart to please God, to have to be holy in his sacrifice. I don't know what was going on in Cain's heart, but what we get and the indication that we get from the Scripture is pretty plain and simple that whatever it was, he was not right with God. He did not have a desire to have holiness in his life. It wasn't personal for him to go before God and and offer his sacrifice in a holy manner which was driven by faith. Instead, It was something entirely different. And I find that fascinating. Because I know there have been a number of times that I've sat in the same building with you and my heart is not there. That my mind is not there. And that my soul is not there. It's on everything and anything else in this world. Do you think the worship that I offer is acceptable and pleasing to God? Does God look at the fruit of my lips offering the praise and go, that's someone attaining and striving for holiness? Or that's someone who's just going through the motion and giving me lip service? Because you know the answer to that as well as I do. Is holiness important to you? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking about how God wanted to be among the church at Corinth. He wanted to be among them and to make them His people. I want you to see what he said in verse. as he goes into chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Now, I know that when we talk about holiness, I think we envision things that it's not what God envisions. There's an expectation For us to continually look toward Him, to try to follow after His Word. But I want you to see what He says part of the process of holiness is here. Pay close close attention. Cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, if we want to ask the question, well, where do I begin? Where do I start to try to be more holy? Well, Paul just simply laid it out for us. To cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, inside and out. Take the time to examine and evaluate our lives. Are we seeking to be holy And have that relationship with God, with Him. If we take holiness serious, guess what we'll do? We'll take sin serious as well. We won't take pleasure in it. We'll know that there is no pleasure in it. When you read Romans chapter 1, and verse 32, talking about sin in that passage, he said, Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. When you read Romans chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, Paul really is, he's not mincing words is the best way to put it. And he talks about so many different people and the way they're conducting themselves and trying to pass it off in righteousness, But what he says there is they know opposite and they know what's true. They just don't care. And then he punctuates it with this. The things that they're doing, they know are worthy of death. Not only do the same, not only do those things, but then they have pleasure in doing them. I know when we read passages like that, we kind of tend to think of, you know, Roman leaders, Roman officials. And you go down the line historically throughout mankind, and leaders and officials doing the things that he's talking about. But that's not what Paul was driving at in that passage. He wasn't talking about these things Things that we are think are all of these sins are of murder and, and doing things like that. He was talking about a laundry list of sins. He was talking about fornication and lying, homosexuality, all of these things. If we want to have be personal in our holiness, we will understand what sin is. We won't defend ourselves in it. We'll do what James says in James chapter 5. We will actually uh, confess it. We won't have a, a mentality of, well, everybody does it or this is, you know, nobody's perfect. Those are common things that we hear. If we want to take holiness personal, we take sin personal. It's not something that we will joke about, but something that we will be sorry for. In James chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Whenever you sin, what's your reaction? Whenever you realize that you're not right with God, what's your response? You know, the imagery we have here is: He says, Draw nigh to God, come close to God. But what do you have to do? Cleanse your hands. You know, when my children were younger, my middle child was excessively dirty. I don't know how that kid found half the stuff that he found. One day, we were at a Burger King. Barak, you're going to be embarrassed I'm telling this story. He was like maybe three, two, three years old. And we're eating with someone, and there was a young lady that was with us that was pregnant at the time. And we're waiting on our food, and we look over, and Barak's chewing gum. And Angel's like, where do you get gum from? And the moment you felt underneath the table, you realized where that gum came from. And the poor lady that was with us, that was pregnant, I didn't think she was going to make it. I honestly didn't. She went sheet white. But you know, then we go outside after we're done eating and we're going and we're getting in the parking lot and Barrett comes up to me and he holds his hands up for me to put him in the car and I'm like, No, (laughs) go wash your hands because there was like slime. I don't know what it was to this day. I don't know what it was. I was like, go wash your hands. Then I will pick you up and I will put you in the car. You know, that's what that relationship that's being illustrated in James is. We get all down in the sin and the gunk of the world, and then we go to God and we go, Help me. Pick me up. Nurture me. And he said, You need to go wash your hands. Cleanse yourself. Be in mourning. Take this serious. Because if we're going to be holy, We need to take sin serious. Justin, I don't know if this is gonna go south from here or not. It says I got a software update. (laughs) The third aspect of having that relationship with God and that relationship with Christ. And what we will take personally is the gospel. The gospel will be personal to each and every one of us. Because it is the gospel that we understand and we can obtain holiness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So as Paul is transitioning and closing out his letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, You know, he's just got done talking about orderly conduct in the assemblies. But now there's one other thing that he needs to deal with, and that is the resurrection. And chapter 15 is a long chapter, and he's dealing with the subject of the resurrection. But before Paul deals with the subject of the resurrection, what does he do? He stops... He doesn't just jump into the resurrection. He stops and presents them the foundation, the building blocks from which the resurrection is built upon. And he says this, I'm going to give this to you again. I've given you the gospel and I've taught you the gospel before, but I need to, for you to understand it, unless you believed it in vain. And here it is. This is what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins, He was buried, and that He arose again on the third day, He was resurrected. That's the gospel, what Paul says. From there, he then deals with the resurrection piece of the gospel. But the gospel, in a nutshell, is those three elements. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the word gospel, simply means good news. I'm giving you this good news, that without this good news, We wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have spirituality. We wouldn't have holiness. That because of Christ, we can now obtain all of these things. Paul begins Romans chapter 1 with this. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, this isn't the only time that Paul says this. Peter also says it in some of his writings that he was separated for a purpose for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the good news, to spread that good news. This was something that was clearly personal because he had been set apart for this very thing. And he drives home how personal It is. Throughout this letter, we hear him talk about it in different ways and throughout his other letters. This is the things that Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. I will proclaim the gospel and I'm not ashamed of it because I know within that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And without it, we have no salvation. Do you think this was very personal to Paul? In Romans chapter 15 and verse 20, he says, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 23, he says, And this I do for the gospel's sake. All of the struggles, pain, afflictions. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In Phile- uh, Philemon chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, he's talking about them that they had ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Whenever you go to 2 Corinthians, and Paul goes down this laundry list of things that had happened to him, that he had been beaten, that he had been stoned, that he had been in shepher- shipwreck, that he had been without clothes, that he'd been without food. All for what purpose? The gospel. And we have the audacity to complain whenever we want to have Bible studies and get-togethers. We have the audacity to say, I don't have time. We have the audacity to put everything else in life that we want to make personal over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the gospel personal to you? If something's personal and you find joy in it, and you take time nurturing it, what do you tend to do? My wife and I's relationship is personable, personal to me. When I meet new people, I want to share that she's my wife. I don't want to share her with other people, but I want to share that she's my wife. 27 years of marital bliss. I want people to know about that. Because that's personal to me. If the gospel is something that's personal to you, it's something that other people know. Years ago, I had a conversation with a young man. And he was talking about his work environment. And he was talking about another worker, a co-worker, and he was known to be the religious guy. And this guy was like, why does anybody know me as a religious guy? You know, I spend a lot of time worshiping with other people in the church. I don't have a foul mouth. I'm not quick-tempered. And the conclusion that he came to was that other gentleman that everybody thought was super religious was constantly talking about it because it was personal to him. And the guy that was telling me that story was really convicted when he understood that and came to that conclusion. Because he felt like if that was so personal to him, that he would be sharing that information with other people. But yet he wasn't. Do you think Paul thought his relationship was with the gospel was personal? Not only that, do you think that he had an expectation for the others to do the same and be like him? whenever we read passages like Romans, where Paul spent a lot of time nurturing the principles of the Old Testament and how all of those things pointed to the Gospel. And he understood it from a theological standpoint. He understood the law and he understood the prophets. He understood who Abraham was. And he's very thorough Chapters 3-5, through five, going through all of that and teaching how the law and the prophets and Eva and Abraham were always pointing towards Christ and they were always pointing towards the gospel. And then when he gets to chapter 6, later in chapter 6, he says, But God bethink that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. What was he talking about? He spent all of this time showing how the prophets and the Old Testament and even Abraham all pointed towards Christ. What is he talking about? That form of doctrine that he was so glad that they had obeyed. That form, the word form means pattern. What was the pattern that they had obeyed? Well, earlier he said this. This is the pattern. Knowing ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in likeness of his death, (coughs) we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin this was the form of doctrine that they had paid, that they had been obedient to this is the pattern that they had been obedient to this is why the resurrection was so important that they understand at the book of at the end of first corinthians because it was all tied together what they had obeyed was the very thing that christ had done as he preached In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that good news, he illustrates it here. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You follow that in the waters of baptism. Do you think that was very personal to Paul? Because later on in this chapter, Paul says something that's very clear. You're either a servant of righteousness or you're a servant of sin. That's it. It doesn't get any black, more black or white than that. There is no grant dancing in the gray on that statement. It is pretty clear. You're either a servant of righteousness, or you're a servant of sin. And those that had done this, Paul said you were servants of righteousness. And he was appealing to them to understand Why would you go back and want to continue to live in sin whenever you are already servants of righteousness? He wanted them to understand that this was something that they did that was personal. They didn't just go through the motions of getting in some water, having somebody dunk them and raise them back up. That this was something that was personal. That they were resurrected To a newness of life, why would you want to continue to be a servant of sin? So, sharing that message of the gospel should be personal. But also, understanding what the gospel does each and every day should be personal. Are we servants of righteousness or are we servants of sin? Do you know what was personal to Christ? Your salvation. You know what else was personal to Christ? Your soul. It was personal to him that the plan that him and God have be implemented. For you. Paul said from the foundations of the earth, there was a plan put in place. And that plan was God here on earth as a man to struggle with the same things that you and I struggle with, to deal with the same temptations that you and I deal with. But at the end of all of it, be lifted up between heaven and earth on a cross, while the creation which He created screams vile things, spits at Him, and ultimately murders Him. That's how personal your soul is to Jesus Christ. He didn't take His role half-hearted. He full-on committed with everything He was for you. And what He asks from us is that we submit to Him. That we be willing to make these things personal with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Do you think that's a fair trade? Do you think that's a fair ask? Because it definitely isn't a fair trade. But it's, an, it's a very reasonable request. Taking the time to make sure your relationship with God is personal because of what He did for you. You know, you start that. You begin that process through understanding what He taught in Romans chapter 6. You're either a servant of sin or you're a servant of righteousness. To become a servant of righteousness, you have to obey that pattern or that form of doctrine that He taught, burying ourselves and the waters of baptism being resurrected to newness of life like Christ was. If you have not done that, you need to. It's fairly simple and it's fairly black and white. I also know that there are times in life where, as I admitted, we fall down. We don't take things as personally as we should. We don't understand them as personally as we should. Sometimes we just need strength and we need encouragement. Sometimes all we need is a hug, knowing that somebody else is there. But we can offer prayers on your behalf, offer strength in some way. If you find yourself in either of these groups, we ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.